Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. Drilling Deep is the place at FreightWaves family of podcasts where we talk about that thing that is needed to make a truck move on down the highway, oil, which of course you have to drill for. That's why we call it Drilling Deep. And with that, we also talk about the diesel that gets made from oil. We're going to be joined in the second part of the show by Michael Rothman. He's a partner and leader of the New Jersey Transportation and Logistics Practice at the National Accounting Firm of Mazars USA. Michael has been working with clients really for months now who have gotten money or tried to get money out of the Paycheck Protection Program. The program actually comes to an end this week in terms of applying for money, but really that's not the end of it. You can still spend the money for quite some time depending on when you got it. And you're also going to have to show the government how you did spend it so you can be forgiven and not owe them any of that money back. So Michael's going to join us to talk about that in a few minutes. In the meantime, at first, I want to talk about something that has happened just in the past week, something that's fairly rare in the U.S. Two oil refineries are closing. Marathon Petroleum is closing the two of them. One of them is in Martinez, California, in the East Bay area. The other is in New Mexico. The one in California is particularly pretty big. It's about 161,000 barrels per day. Most of the refineries that have closed in this country over the over the years, really, uh, have been significantly smaller. Most of them have been less than 100,000 barrels per day. This is the biggest refinery closure in California since the 1990s. They're going to convert that facility to a terminal where they can take products in and store them. Many of them are going to be imported products. And they're also going to convert part of the facility to making renewable diesel, which is a hot product because it of environmental regulations and you get credits from using it. There are 740 jobs out at that refinery. They're good paying jobs. While some of them will stick around for the operations that will take the place of the refinery, it's going to be a fraction. So it's always tough to lose really good employment like that. There are no plans for New Mexico. That refinery is just going away. But the history of refiners does tend to be that at a certain point, often their value drops to the value of the scrap steel inside the refinery, as well as some other things of value. And somebody ends up deciding they can buy it for the price of scrap steel, and they can run it as a refinery. But what's different this time is that a lot of refining executives in the past week are starting to talk about oil demand not getting back to pre-pandemic levels for a long, long time. And the main reason for their pessimism, I think, is the market for jet fuel. Now, why is that particularly relevant to diesel? We've talked about that before. Diesel and jet fuel are both distillates. A refinery cannot be engineered to not just to, to, to not produce distillate at all or just produce diesel and not produce jet fuel. But they can be tweaked and squeezed a little bit so they can produce a lot less jet fuel than normal. And when they do that, that often means they'll produce a lot more diesel. That's one of the reasons why you still see U.S. inventories of diesel at more than 50 days worth of demand. In the history of the data series of that, which goes back into the 90s, there were maybe six times in that history where those inventories were above 50 days of, of days cover. It's now been like that for eight of the last nine weeks. So it was interesting then to listen to refining executives in this past week on their earnings calls talking about demand going forward. Gasoline demand is still below pre-pandemic levels, still below year-ago levels by maybe either side of 10%. Remember, it was down about 50% in April. Phillips 66 executives said they still see jet demand down about 50%. There's a, the management at a big refining company called PBF talked about how they have switched a lot of distillate production over to diesel and away from jet 
but they said that if jet demand didn't come back, they weren't sure they could do that forever. The quote from the company's CEO, I think, was pretty important. His name is Tom Nibley. He said, I am not convinced that we could get to full utilization in this industry if jet demand is where it is today. And that's not good news for consumers of diesel. It means that at a certain point, the flood of diesel coming to the market because the industry is making less jet is going to start to slow down. What's going on now is not a long-term solution. It's not a long-term system. It's not going to happen anytime soon, but it's clearly something to watch. And the second thing that really isn't great, great news longer term for the trucking industry is the shutdown of those refineries that I talked about earlier. Remember that last year, the big Philadelphia Energy Solutions refinery, the biggest on the East Coast, shut down. That was more than 300,000 barrels per day. That is a big, big refinery. Now, you've got these two refineries shutting down by marathon, though, you know, one of them is going to produce a small amount of renewable diesel. But really, that's, that's a relatively minor impact. Those refineries are what supplies diesel to the transport market. Those two big ones, those two small ones, and all the ones throughout the country. There's a saying in the commodity markets that a certain type of business wakes up long or short a commodity. So the makers of cornflakes wake up short corn. The farmers that grow the corn wake up long corn. They get together and they meet each other's needs. Truckers wake up short diesel. Refiners wake up long diesel. It's better for truckers if there are more refiners, but we're about to lose two of them. It's just another reminder that with rising freight rates and soft diesel prices, this is a combination that consumers of diesel, which are the truck drivers, are going to look back on very, very fondly someday. We are going to turn our attention now to something that is legally at least about to end the Paycheck Protection Program. The PPP, as it's known, was designed by Congress and President Trump to find a way to rapidly get people supported in their jobs so they weren't furloughed. Uh, That program started in April. It was about to die at the end of June. Then it got new authorization, but the authorization only lasts till August 8th, which is just a couple of days away. Uh, But it doesn't really end in that sense. You can't get new loans, but uh, two things for people in the trucking industry, they're going to have to, to determine, they're going to have to take the steps necessary to make sure they don't have to pay it back, that they will all be forgiven. And um, it's also maybe we'll be able to keep people employed even beyond August 8th. So uh, to talk about it, we brought here on Michael Rothman. He's the partner and leader of the New Jersey Transportation and Logistics Practice at the National Accounting and Consulting Firm of Mazars USA. Michael, you've been doing a lot of work with your clients on the PPP. Uh, what would you say now? We're just a couple of days away from the end of it, end of it in the sense of new applications. Was it a success? I would definitely call it a success in terms of getting the money into the hands of the companies that really needed it You know, during that uncertain time of middle of March to middle of April and kind of nobody knew anything that was happening or going on because it's unprecedented. So it was pretty and quick. How, yeah, go ahead. No, I was saying it was pretty quick reaction from the government to get money into the hands of the business owners. And I think, you know, in terms of success, it, part of it did what it was intended to do. And the other parts, you know, some people are misusing funds. So I think that's some of the things that are you're seeing in the news today. Right. Well, let's point out that the number of loans that were dispersed through this was over five million, well over five million. So the idea that maybe somebody out there used it to buy a Lamborghini, which was the story uh, a couple of weeks ago, is not that shocking. But uh, I noticed that the average loan recently 
uh, it really since the end of May 30th has really shrunk. It's down to $18,000. And uh, there aren't too many cars out there. You can even afford $18,000. But um, do you think that your, your specialty is trucking? You're head of the transportation group at Mazars in New Jersey. Did it keep a lot of trucking capacity alive? Well, in terms of capacity, I think it, it I don't know if it really influenced capacity. Uh, what it did was it influenced the trucking company owners to make sure that they had enough cash flow to keep the lights on. And, and that's really what was, uh, what held a lot of this together. You, you see this because the essential businesses that needed to operate in the manufacturers and beneficial cargo owners who needed the supplies, they were, they, they were getting them. It wasn't because of the PPP money. It was, it was because they needed them and there was a, a great demand and a surge for that. Now you see that the companies that had to keep every, the lights on, you know, when I say that, the overheads, the, the administrative staff, the customer service staff, there's everyone all involved that really puts, you know, the pieces of the puzzle together here for the, for the drugging company. So I, it did it did its job in that, in that sense. But in terms of capacity, I think it's, it kind of would have played out one way or another with or without the PPP funds. All right. Now, um, what do you expect with the end of it? Uh, first of all, let's define the end as two ways. The end of it to make new applications is August 8th, so that's very soon. But the uh, period for which you could use it to keep your people employed or pay some other bills was extended to, I think, 24 weeks. So that's six months. Even if you got your money in April, that means you've got till October to kind of draw, keep drawing these funds and use, using them under the, the law. Uh, is it still going to continue to have an impact on on the industry beyond August 8th? Well, it's certainly going to have an impact because now you got health. Hopefully you got a healthier balance sheet than where you begin began with because it was based off payroll that if the company was still operating and at some capacity, whatever that is, but if it's operating, uh, it got a benefit of getting the ability of the cash flow for the, for the company, for the owners of the companies to be able to utilize that. So it's certainly going to have an impact. I think now where companies are going to be looking at the forgiveness components, eight weeks, 24 weeks, or some period in between even, there's, you know, there, there's uh, FAQs issued or interim final rules issued that uh, allow uh, examples, show examples of that. So whatever period is chosen for the forgiveness, um, the companies are now going to hopefully be left with cash on their balance sheets, and that's going to give them maneuverability. That's going to give them some additional uh, ability to do things that maybe they weren't able to do it before because they didn't have that liquidity. And since they were able to operate, and not all, of course, it depends on the industries and customers being served, but those companies that were in operations during the time and were still generating revenues and, and kept their fleets moving, they're going to find themselves with cash on the balance sheet, hopefully. And, and that can be used as a reinvestment back into the company to really propel it to, you know, the, to, to the next stage of the journey of wherever it lies. You know? And I think that's where the business owners need to focus on is that midterm period, not the next, I would say, eight or 24 weeks. It's going to be the next um, 16 to 24 months that they need to be looking out. You know, somewhere in a year and a half time to two years time is, is what can they do to better themselves? And I think now they have the ability to do things that maybe they didn't before. 
You know, what's interesting, of course, is that, you know, we're coming off the second quarter and or the earnings reports for the big truckload companies are out. And they all pretty much reported the same thing. A miserable April, significantly better uh, May, significantly better June, June being better than May. And even just into July, that's continued. So a lot of them kind of also had this money. They, they got it in the beginning when they really, really needed it. And they still got it when they really don't have it. I'm not, I'm not saying they don't really have it, but they might not need it as much. So what you're saying is that this is actually going to allow them to not just survive, but maybe help them thrive. Right. I mean, there's certain things that companies have been facing, you know, in 2019, it was one after the other in terms of the bankruptcy. So a lot of unhealthy companies exited already the marketplace and you were left within 2020 going into a very strong demand and very high expectations uh, you know, the business climate was, was looking pretty well, you know, on paper, on projections early on. This is going to allow them now with the cash that's on the balance sheets. Hopefully these companies now are going to be in a healthy state and continue down that trajectory. And they could invest back into technology, which is much needed in a lot of these companies that have, you know, these patches, I would say, that, you know, holding together their TMS systems, LTL systems, and ERP systems and WMS systems, and, and they're not all integrated well, and they're very old legacy systems. And, and they might find themselves in, in, in a place now that the timing is right to invest because it's, it really is about da- data. It, it really is about um, being and leveraging that, that information because a lot of automation has taken place and a lot of AI and a lot of reporting that really simplifies matters. Uh, and, and that's going to help companies leverage that cash on the balance sheet. So you certainly would reject the idea that the end of PPP means more bankruptcies. Obviously, we've continued to have trucking bankruptcies, but uh, there was this uh, almost a conventional wisdom that maybe the end of PPP would bring even more bankruptcies. But I clearly don't think that's your point of view. No, and I think, you know, the companies that are facing the bankruptcies, of course, there's many uh, that could be either mismanaged or facing, they were unhealthy before PPP came out. So this is not a shot in the arm to really, you know, right-size the ship. But I, I think more so the companies are going to be facing, you know, continued uncertainty, but hopefully they have a little bit of cash on the balance sheet to manage that, you know, the volatility ahead of them. Yeah, let's put some numbers into perspective. The uh, the the group, the d- division called Transportation and Warehousing, which trucking is part of, got about 3.2% of all loans. That number's kind of fluctuated, but it's really been pretty steadily in all the reports coming out of the Small Business Administration, been around 32 to 3.4% of all loans. And given the number of loans that have been given out, which is about uh, 520, something like that, uh, we're looking at around $16, $17 billion that was injected into this industry through PPP. Now, I'm sure you held the hands of many clients through the process. The second part of the process is forgiveness, where the SBA says, okay, you use the money in the right way. You use the money according to the law. We forgive the loan. Do you think most of your clients, if not all, or how about the industry as a whole, is ready for the forgiveness process, which is going to, well, it's really already started, but certainly it'll start to pick up as the year goes on? Yeah, I think it, you're right. It is a forgiveness process. Um, 
the SBA is going to issue new rules anticipated around August 10th. I mean, they suspended all forgiveness applications through August 10th. So some banks who were ready to accept them um, had to put a pause on it right now. But that being said, I think everyone is looking towards that next stage is now gathering all that information and, and making the decisions that they did early on when they received the funds. And then there were so many changes. It was a fluid situation that they continued to evolve and how to utilize them and, and how to keep track of them. And absolutely talking with just about every client um, and prospect that we can, you know, fit in during, you know, during, during the day, it was one call after another and that helped them solidify some of the things that they didn't know while the SBA was continuing to evolve with the rules and regulations. I think interpreting the spirit of the law of the CARES Act really helped us um, understand the context behind some of the SBA regulations that are coming out and the FAQs that are following. What's interesting, though, is that you know everyone rushed to get the funds, right? It was, if you look at the numbers, there was a huge spike, you know, of all the money coming out within the first week and then it ran out. And then a couple of weeks later, they replenished the fund. And then, you know, within a week or two, it kind of leveled out again. Yeah, let's, 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 let's get to the numbers on May 30th, because I looked at the numbers earlier today. On May 30th, the average size of the loan was about $114,000. And as of last week, it was 104000 Now that's that, that may not sound like a big drop, only $10,000. But remember, that's $10,000 over, you know, at hundreds of thousands of loans. And it pushed it down, you know, it pushed it down by 7 8% the average. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a big jump, uh, you know, in terms of the averages when you look at it. Um, a lot of it has to do with the type of companies that were applying. I mean, the, the big companies that had a lot of employees, uh, they were applying very early on. The ones, you know, you look at the industry, the industry is made up of a lot of small, fragmented owner operators, less than 10 truck operations. And that has an impact on the numbers. If you look at it just within the transportation logistics industry, because, you know, you got some very large carriers with some very large, you know, driver populations and employees. And then you have the other spectrum that it's one man, one truck. So early on, the one man, one truck didn't know if he, who was he applying for. Was he qualified to do it as an independent owner operator? Is the company that he's working for, he thinks he's an employee of, is, is, are they applying for him? You know, and, and I think that uncertainty held uh, and, and a lot of these smaller companies out there or, or owner operators were not getting the funds. And that's why you see the numbers actually go down over time because by extending the period and the replenishment of the money back into the funds, it gave them opportunities now to, to apply or reapply during a period where you know, things were really uncertain. Not that we have a lot of clarity now, but it were even worse early, you know, into May and in, in April for sure. You know, I know there was some discussion and I say some in the sense of like, I read a story about it. <laughs> <laughs> 
the idea of uh, clearly the second the, the extension of the PPP didn't really do that much. The amount of money dispersed between uh, early July when the program was reauthorized and what will be through the end of this week through August 8th is pretty minimal. What about the possibility of if Congress is looking at more ways to stimulate the economy, allowing first round recipients to get a second round? Since they've already been through the process, they've already torn their hair out of their head trying to figure out the process and, and the application and whether they were qualified or not. What about giving them another shot? Well, if they're eligible, you know, assuming that the second round does come out and, and they're eligible for it, then why not? You know, I think the uncertainties continue to hover over all these companies and they need to continue to make payrolls and operate in an environment where some of their customers may be thriving and others may you know, be on the other end of it and, and not uh, operate at all. And it really has an impact and imbalance to the, to the company's operations. Now, what are you saying to your clients now about about the forgiveness process? Uh, did were a lot of them ready to go on day one in the sense that they really didn't apply for it, the loans in the beginning as long as they knew that they were going to be okay with the forgiveness process? Can you talk about the forgiveness process, how complicated it is, and where the company should be concerned about it? Because if they flunk the forgiveness process, they've got to pay this money back. Yeah, I think it's really important. Like I mentioned earlier, the company's ran you know flocking to to the money when it was available to them really because they needed it i guess at the same time that th- they put a limit as to the amount of dollars in the fund that ran dry and it and it did run out so go looking at it from the forgiveness i mean they extended the forgiveness process by 10 months i mean you could apply within 10 months after the end of the eight week or 24 week period to determine so there's a lot of variability now to consider and the advice that we're giving to our clients is don't rush into the forgiveness if you don't have to. Now, there are certain instances where you need to apply early because you need to apply. Uh, you want to apply for certain other financing available to you, maybe through the Main Street Lending Program, which is you know a different program that's more of a loan. But there are instances that you want to apply and need to apply early. Maybe there's sale contemplated in the business or whatnot. But for those that don't have a special necessity to get the loan forgiven, you know, immediately, I would say that it makes sense to hold off. One, there's income tax planning here to be considered. Um, and, and second, the rules are still coming out. And while you may benefit from the transparency or lack of transparency in the rules at this stage, um, many people you know, want to abide by them. They're not looking to break them. Um, and, I, and I think giving some more time to develop when the application period for forgiveness is in full swing is going to give them the clarity that they're looking for, especially trying to avoid any of the pitfalls of having the money returned, you know, under situations where they didn't act properly or didn't really provide the proper documentation, support, or records with the application. You mentioned August 10th as something, a key date that some of the forgiveness guidance was going to come out. What are you looking for in that guidance and what should a recipient be looking for? Well, there's still a lot of questions to be had of how you calculate certain things. Uh, You know, the wage penalty is pretty clear, but the headcount penalty is not. 
you know, in instances where they set out the um, safe harbor date for the number of full-time equivalents, the FTE requirements that are required um, to be maintained is for December 31st. So if you're going to apply before December 31st, how does that impact your application? And do you have to wait now past December 31st to apply if your headcount reduction uh, or if you're impacted by that headcount reduction? So I think it makes sense to, to get some more information and the SBA is working on it. I think they made that pretty clear with, with, with the information and the freeze of the applications because there's still a lot of banks out there that, or many banks out there that are tasked with the requirements of the forgiveness, but don't really understand the whole process, you know? And so they look to us as professionals, but it's really them that are on the hook for this. And I think the SBA and and the regulations make it very important for the banks to, to respond to this. I think they also have three answers to this. You know, it's not just accept the application and approve it for forgiveness or deny it for forgiveness. There's a third option that kicks it over back to the SBA and lets the SBA handle it. And I think there's a lot of situations that are going to arise like these one-off, you know, what happens if this or what happens when that, that the banks are not going to be very clear how to handle and they're not going to want to put at risk one the reputation two the the financial risks of losing the the fees associated with the generating of these because remember these are very low interest rate loans the banks are banks want to get these off their balance sheets too but they don't want to make a mistake either you know that they're harmed or impacted by not earning the fees associated with processing these and there's a lot of cost that they're going to incur to do it so it you know, it's, hopefully it's commensurate with the amount of work. Well, how about this? When they come out, I'll give you a call and we'll write about it on FreightWaves and everybody out there can look to FreightWaves.com for the story on it that I assume will pop up sometime next week. And uh, Michael, maybe some of your uh, opinions and views will be in that story. I appreciate it. And looking forward to it, John. I think once we can tuck this behind us and on the forgiveness, we really could start focusing on the planning aspects of how to navigate through the journey of all this uncertainty. All right. We, we want to thank our guest today, Michael Rothman. He's the partner and leader of the New Jersey Transportation and Logistics Practice at the National Accounting and Consulting Firm of Mazars USA. I'm John Kingston. I've been your host on FreightWaves. FreightWaves is part of the FreightCast family of podcasts at FreightWaves, and you can find us on all the main platforms for podcasts. You can find us on FreightWaves.com. We hope you'll join us again. Thank you very much. Thank you.